0: These are very serious charges and reflect a pattern of lies and dishonesty over an extended period of time. They are significant in their own rights. They are particularly significant when done by a lawyer. A lawyer who, through training and tradition, understands what it means to be a lawyer, to engage in honest and fair dealing and adherence to the law. Mr. Cohen disregarded that training, disregarded that tradition, and decided that he was above the law. And for that, he was going to pay a very, very serious price.
1: Late Tuesday afternoon, Robert Kazami, the deputy U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, spoke to reporters outside the federal court in Manhattan. Kazami's statement followed a major moment for one of President Trump's closest aides. Michael Cohen, Trump's longtime personal lawyer, pleaded guilty to eight counts related to tax evasion, bank fraud, and campaign finance violations. Those campaign finance counts—there were two—implicated Donald Trump directly. And yet, the news of the day for the Trump team wasn't over. Within minutes of the news about Cohen's plea came the verdict in the trial of Trump's former campaign chairman, Paul Manafort. The two stories unfolded with nearly unbelievable timing. At practically the same moment, two people close to the president were declared guilty. This is Can He Do That?, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. I'm Allison Michaels, and today we needed to bring you a special break-in episode to explain exactly what happened Tuesday, what it all means for the future of the Mueller investigation, and what the immediate and potential future consequences are for the president of the United States. Tuesday's developments are significant. Manafort was convicted on eight counts in his trial, in the first trial to emerge from Special Prosecutor Robert Mueller's investigation of Russian interference in the 2016 campaign. But perhaps even more importantly, Michael Cohen told the court that, quote, in coordination with and at the direction of a candidate for federal office, he worked to keep an individual from disclosing information that could harm the candidate. That candidate, of course, was Donald Trump. Cohen's plea came after several months of investigation beginning earlier this year.
0: Well, so he's been under investigation since the beginning of the year. They raided his office in April, and at that point, it was pretty clear that he would very likely be charged at some point with crimes. He was under investigation for lying to banks to get loans, for tax evasion. And for apparently arranging hush money payments to women who claim to have had affairs or relationships of some kind with the president uh, before he was the president.
1: That's Devlin Barrett. You've heard him here before. He's a national security reporter for The Washington Post. He's explaining how Michael Cohen came to surrender to the FBI on Tuesday. When Cohen did surrender, his plea included five counts of tax evasion, one count of false statements to a bank, and two counts of campaign finance violations. One of those campaign finance violations was related to Karen McDougal. McDougal is a former Playboy model who allegedly had an extramarital affair with Donald Trump in 2006.
0: So in the case of Karen McDougal, her story was uh, essentially purchased by the company that owns the National Enquirer. That's run by a guy named David Pecker, who is a friend of Trump's and who, according to the charging documents, bought... McDougall's story specifically, so that he could kill it and keep it from getting out there and hurting the president. Cohen's role in all this was there was apparently some agreement early on that Cohen would essentially buy the rights to that story at some point, essentially reimbursing Pecker for his costs in that. For reasons that aren't really clear, that never that reimbursement never happened. But that's how Cohen played a role in that process.
1: Okay, and what about payments made to adult film actress Stormy Daniels?
0: Right, so that's a separate one, and that one directly involves Cohen making the payment himself. Uh, In that case, Cohen directly paid Stormy Daniels for her story essentially to keep her quiet. And that was a $130,000 payment at the very end of the 2016 campaign.
1: And just to clarify, her story being that she had an affair with the president.
0: Right. She says that back, uh, you know, more than a decade ago, she had a tryst with then uh, reality show star Donald Trump.
1: Okay. so Tuesday during this hearing, Cohen admits to committing crimes. And he says in this hearing that he did them at the direction of the candidate. In this case, we know that it's President Trump or Donald Trump at the time. So does this implicate the president and is this a credible claim?
0: It directly implicates the president. He says he did this not just in coordination with, but at the direction of the president. That's an amazing assertion that directly implicates the president in a criminal act. And, you know, credibility is sort of a separate issue. On the one hand, the government would not have Michael Cohen plead guilty to things or say things that the government had reason to believe wasn't true. On the other hand, obviously, all you need to do to know that Michael Cohen has lied is watch some of his past TV interviews where he denies all of this stuff repeatedly. So, obviously, Cohen may have a public credibility problem, but prosecutors have decided he is telling the truth on this front. And how much evidence he has to back that up, uh, we don't know yet. But obviously, they've seized essentially the government has seized essentially all of Michael Cohen's documents and emails and papers. So, they know an awful lot
1: about Michael Cohen. So presumably there is some evidence to possibly back up this implication of the president.
0: Yes. I think it's definitely possible, at least, that when Michael Cohen says he did these things at the direction of the president, it is, they're going on more than just Michael Cohen's word.
1: Okay. So on that note, let's pivot briefly to something else that was unraveling yesterday as we found out about this plea, um, and that was the verdict in the Paul Manafort trial. So first of all, what was the outcome of that trial?
0: So Paul Manafort was convicted of eight counts of bank fraud, lying to the IRS um, and failing to file a particular type of form with the IRS, all of, all of which is a, sort of about his finances and at one point his multimillion dollar lifestyle that became a little more difficult in, in recent years.
1: And what does this all mean for Paul Manafort? What kind of sentence might he face?
0: Mostly what it means is he's going to prison and he faces between seven and 10 years. The the sentencing guidelines aren't entirely clear yet. You have to do a little math, lawyer math, basically. But he faces between seven and 10 years. The sort of the more interesting question with Manafort, though, is President Trump has said so many positive things about Manafort and said how unfortunate and unfair it is what's happened to him. He won't say whether he has considered giving Paul Manafort a pardon. But a lot of the president's statements could be interpreted to mean that he is definitely interested in giving Manafort a pardon at some point. And law enforcement officials have come to suspect that Manafort believes he is going to get a pardon.
1: And that's perhaps why Manafort hasn't flipped.
0: Uh, That's one explanation for it, yes.
1: So President Trump, as you say, has responded to Manafort's verdict. One of the things he said that this is that this doesn't have anything to do with me. It doesn't have anything to do with Russia. This is something else. And he's continued then to call this entire process a witch hunt. Even though now an independent jury has made a decision ruling that Paul Manafort was guilty of these crimes, and we still see the president saying that this is a witch hunt, how does that add up? What does that mean?
0: Well, it's, it's an amazing situation in the sense that the president is basically taking a posture towards the criminal justice system that is, it's crooked, it's, you know, out to get, you know, me and my people, and the people who enforce the law are the ones who are actually, you know, dirty or corrupt or, or wrong in some fashion. That is an argument that, frankly, you hear more often in sort of the criminal conspiracy world, than you do from elected officials.
1: Some other responses that Trump has had to everything that's going on are some that he tweeted on Wednesday in reference to the Michael Cohen plea. He suggested that Cohen made up stories in order to get such a deal and that Cohen pled guilty to two counts of campaign finance violations that are not a crime. So first of all, are campaign violations are the ones specifically included in this plea a crime?
0: Yes, when you plead guilty to a crime, that is a crime.
1: In addition to that, in that same tweet, Trump said President Obama had a big campaign finance violation and it was easily settled. Do we know what he's referring to? Uh,
0: it, he appears to be referring to a fine that the Obama campaign paid for uh, a number of failures to file 48-day notices. One of the rules of campaign finance violations uh, – campaigns finance law, I should say, is that when you get close to an election, you have to start filing very quickly uh, what money is coming in. And the Obama administration failed to do that for – a number of days right before an election. And so they were fined, I believe, $375,000, something in that ballpark. So that's what he's referring to. I mean, look, what's remarkable about that series of tweets is he's making a very basic assertion, which is that Manafort is a good guy for keeping his mouth shut and that Cohen is a bad guy for talking. That is an amazing—it's it just—as someone who's covered courts for a long time, it's just amazing to me to hear the president speak that way about criminal cases.
1: Now, one other response that we've seen from Trump's team comes from his personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani. He said, there's no allegation of any wrongdoing against the president in the government's charges against Mr. Cohen. Is that true?
0: That's technically true, but it misses the point. So in the government's charges say that uh, Cohen conspired with, you know, one or more campaign officials. Now, obviously, the president may be a, is considered an official within his own campaign. So that may be a reference to the president. We don't really know. But when uh, Cohen speaks to the judge and says what he did, part of the rule of pleading guilty is you have to explain in your own words what you did uh, that makes you guilty of a crime. Cohen said, I did these things at the direction of the candidate. Um, so he says it and it's not like that's a surprise to prosecutors when he says it. They know they have some understanding of what he's going to say and they're not, if they have a problem with that, if they thought that wasn't true, they would say so.
1: So we see Trump's story seem to be changing a lot. He originally said that he had no knowledge of any payment to Stormy Daniels and now according to the plea that Michael Cohen made, he did in fact know about what was going on. So is there anything to be made of the inconsistencies in Trump's narrative?
0: Well, I think there's a lot to be made of it, but again, it's a question of who whose opinion do you care about, right? So, um, time and again, it's been, sh- you know, people have come forward to say the president did not say, was not being honest when he said X. Mm-hmm. Um, that hasn't seemed to have much consequence for him politically, except in that, you know, Democrats get angrier and, um, you know, and Republicans get more defensive, Um So I think there's numerous instances where what the president asserts, uh, ends up not holding up to scrutiny. Um, and some of his statements on Stormy Daniels actually made Cohen's situation much worse. I mean, there's a, for, you know, boring legal reasons, um, you know, Trump is partly responsible for Michael Cohen pleading guilty, uh, But does that have an actual political consequence for him? Uh, You know, so far, the answer has has always been no.
1: Can you explain why Trump has some responsibility for Michael Cohen's plea?
0: Right. So um, if you remember when uh, Cohen's office was searched, that came very within a matter of days after Trump making some statements on Air Force One that he didn't know about the stormy payment and that if uh, Cohen made such a payment, he did it on his own. That's really important for Cohen's situation because at the time prosecutors were able to argue you know th- that then what Cohen did in that front isn't protected by attorney-client privilege because by the client's own statement, Cohen was not acting as his attorney when he did those things because you can't act as someone's attorney and do things that the client – has no idea is happening. So when Trump made that statement, it was immediately used by the prosecutors as part of their legal justification for both searching Cohen's papers and then you know, obviously going through them and compiling evidence from those papers. Uh, that hurt Cohen significantly, and it's those kind of statements that I think, um, that's one of the more egregious examples, I'd say, but there are a number of times where the president or people immediately around him have said things that legally were counterproductive to what they were trying to accomplish.
1: Now, let's talk a little bit about how this all fits into the Mueller investigation, because I think it gets a little bit murky here. How does let's specifically Michael Cohen's plea fit in, if at all, with the Mueller investigation? Well, right
0: now, it doesn't at all. What's interesting is uh, the Cohen case really has been handled by the New York prosecutors, not Mueller's office. Um, and what's, what's been interesting since the plea, his lawyer has made a couple of statements suggesting that, you know, Cohen would be interested in, and available possibly to talking to the special counsel's office and might have some information that would be useful to their work. Uh, frankly, I've also talked to law enforcement sources who say that Cohen isn't ultimately really that important to uh, the special counsel's office investigation. Um, that th- as far as they're concerned, you know, he doesn't advance the ball much for what they're trying to answer. And remember, they are really what you've seen in the last few months with the special counsel's offices. They are really trying to narrow their focus onto the core question of what did Russia do to interfere with the 2016 election and which Americans, if any, uh, participated or tried to participate in that effort.
1: So Michael Cohen, a man who has spent countless hours with the president, it is possible that he knows something about what Robert Mueller might be interested in.
0: It's certainly possible, and his lawyer is hinting that he may. um, But what's interesting, again, on a source basis, what's interesting to me is that a number of law enforcement folks have said he doesn't seem to be that important to that question.
1: Okay. Now, prior to Michael Cohen's plea, Stormy Daniels had filed a lawsuit against President Trump in regards to this payment. And that was ordered a 90-day stay, um, given that Michael Cohen would likely... Be indicted. So, what happens to that case now?
0: Well, at some point, a judge, the judge overseeing that case, could say, "You know what? The criminal process here has has run its course, and it's time to let this civil process go forward." Now, there would still be lots to fight about in terms of, you know, does the president really have to submit to some kind of deposition? Uh, you know, how would how would Cohen be, you know, uh, deposed if if that has to happen? Um, but you know, it's certainly a, a plea moves us closer to the point where that civil case becomes live. But just to be clear, it could still be delayed as long as Cohen hasn't been sentenced. Um, And it's not entirely clear how long that might take.
1: Now, in terms of Congress, Michael Cohen has testified in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee that he knew nothing about the meeting that took place at Trump Tower in 2016 between the Trump team and Russian lawyers. Now, the Senate Intelligence Committee has said that they're revisiting that testimony and interested in possibly having Michael Cohen come back. Will he go back to Congress, do you think?
0: Uh, His lawyer has indicated uh, he may very well go back or has some interest in, you know, uh, has some willingness to talk about those things. I, I personally don't understand what the point is of Congress investigating this stuff. As best we can tell so far, most of the people who've talked to Congress about this have either not said very much or said things that the courts have later shown to be untrue. So I'm a little perplexed as to what anyone in Congress thinks they're going to solve, what mysteries they think they will reveal um, through their testimony to Congress because it hasn't happened yet.
1: But meanwhile, Congress might hold all the power here in terms of the president of the United States. And by that, I mean, just to clarify that the Justice Department guidelines right now are that we cannot indict a sitting president. So therefore, the correct process for holding a president accountable would be through the impeachment process through Congress. Is that-
0: That's certainly technically true. I, I mean, it's a, both branches of, of Congress, both houses of Congress are Republican controlled and, and the Republicans seem to have zero interest in even discussing the possibility of an, an impeachment. So I think in some ways, I think it's a pipe dream. But, you know, in theory, November election could change that. Um, I, I don't see any – I think part of what Trump has been very successful at is holding on to his base even amid all of these legal problems that surround him. And I think part of what happens when you hold on to your base is the members of your own party uh, are reluctant to turn on you. And I think uh, I don't see any reason to think that the Cohen situation or the Manafort situation necessarily means that members of his own party are now going to turn on him because they haven't
1: yet. So what options do prosecutors have right now?
0: So they keep investigating and there's a number of areas in which you could see more information about what the president did or didn't do come to light. One is through indictments. If you think back to um, what what the Watergate investigation – how the Watergate investigation proceeded, um, Nixon eventually became uh, an unindicted co-conspirator in uh, charges brought by uh, the investigator in that case. So it's always possible that there could be some references to uh, the present and some future charging document. So, for example, in the Cohen case – the president is clearly individual one. Um, they decided they weren't going to publicly identify the president, but they made the helpful categorization of they describe him as individual one who was elect who became president in twenty seventeen. <laughs> We're pretty sure we know who that is. Um, the other way they could go, uh, and these aren't mutually exclusive. They could do some combination of these two things. But the other way the special counsel's office could go is they could issue a report to Congress laying out what they found and basically saying to Congress, here is what we found. Here is what uh, we think is important to any questions of impeachment or just sort of you know further congressional investigation if you so choose. Um, and that would be the other way in which some of this stuff could come to light.
1: Okay, so let's just kind of figure out where all of this is headed. What is next for first Paul Manafort?
0: Well, as far as we know, he is due to go on trial again in September on different charges in in Washington, D.C. And
1: what's next for Michael Cohen?
0: Uh, he is, uh, as far as we know, awaiting sentencing. Um, But the big question is, will there now be some movement between him and the special counsel's office?
1: Okay. And then along those lines, what's next for the president? Uh,
0: Well, so far, it just seems to be uh, pretty angry and lashing out. Um, uh, And I do think that he is in the middle of, of, you know, there is a legal nightmare around the president because so many of people close to the president are either – you know, have been found guilty of something or are under investigation. That is a legally precarious position to be in, and I don't think he will get out of that precarious position anytime soon. And so a great question and what we're all looking for as reporters is, does he try to do anything about that? You know, doing something about it could be, depending on what it is, could be dangerous for him. Uh, but he's also, you know, sort of beset from another, from a number of angles right now.
1: One theme jumped out at me from Tuesday's events. The original mandate of the Mueller investigation, the investigation that eventually led to Paul Manafort's trial, which ended this week, was to investigate Russian interference in the 2016 election. Cohen's guilty plea included campaign finance violations related to that same election. So then, does this period of time reflect a challenge for the American electoral system? Is the integrity of our elections at risk?
0: I don't think the specifics of what they're admitting to should, you know, make people think that elections aren't fair or elections aren't accurate. Um, You know, there's a campaign finance violation here, and that's important. That's not nothing. But I do think that what this week does is that it shows that some of the people around the president were committing crimes while they were working for the person who became the president. That's alarming and that raises a host of questions as to, you know, is it unique to these two people or three people or four people or is there some bigger problem here? When it comes to elections, I think the big question we still don't have an answer to, which is, did Americans conspire with Russians or the Russian government to interfere with the election? That's still the, you know, gajillion dollar question that we don't have the answer to.
1: This was a special break-in episode of Can He Do That? Please share it, tell your friends, and follow me, Allison Michaels, on Twitter at AllisonMikes. Mikes. Can He Do That is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by Carol Alderman with design help from Kat Rudell-Brooks, logo art from Loren Boglio, and theme music from Ted Muldoon.